Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text hope NY in New York with the Baker's plus card. It's easy to get lower than low prices, which adds up to big savings for the win. You also earn fuel points on every purchase, which means you win big at the pump, the Baker's plus card. All you do is win big, big savings. Sign up now at bakersplus.com and start saving. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Savings may vary by state. Fuel restrictions apply. Get more ways to save at the buy five or more. Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. All right, we're back. For the second time this week, it's another Carolina podcast. I'm Pearson Fowler. Y'all have already heard from Wes and Chris this week. Did a emergency pod after the Charleston Southern game. Some quick reactions. We're going to give a few more thoughts from the Charleston Southern game before we turn our attention to the looming Alabama game coming up this Saturday. We're going to do a little buy or sell. Thanks to the Bishop team for sponsoring that and get to our Shalosky's challenge at the end of the podcast. And guys, as I mentioned, as we get started here, y'all did a sort of instant reaction, you know, some some instant takes on Ryan Holinsky's debut for South Carolina. I think a very good performance overall with the exception of the interception. Talked about Kevin Harris, who is the starting running back as of Saturday, according to me and nobody else. Um, but from uh, if y'all listen to my Get Cocky podcast on Monday, y'all heard Will Helms talk about how it was a near-perfect performance in terms of pro football focus, the likes of which are not often seen uh, from Kevin Harris. Seven snaps, six carries, 140, either six or seven yards, and three touchdowns. Absolutely spectacular. I am curious how he's going to factor into the game plan because he, I think he showcased in only a couple of a couple of carries on Saturday that dude is at least worth giving a couple snaps just to see what he can do. But, guys, as we are midway through the week now recording this on a Wednesday – 
We're halfway between the Charleston Southern and the Alabama game. Are there any other big-picture thoughts, anything that as we zoomed out from Saturday that we didn't talk about just in terms of Carolina being able to take care of business and what that means maybe for the team psychologically going forward? Well, I think it was a positive. It's something that Muschamp talked about. I don't know if you guys got to watch the SEC inside uh, thing as well on Tuesday night, but got to see a little bit of the sideline, a little bit of the locker room um, before the game, at halftime, and after the game with some of Muschamp's messaging to his team and some of the practice leading up to that week. But it was really about going out and and resetting and sort of starting fresh, um, getting back on track is is how he put it. And so I think that was it for the team. This was a game that, you know, realistically, Carolina or most teams should have won this game handily. And not only did they do that, they completely dominated. You know, it wasn't just, you know, you beat them pretty good. It was a complete domination from start to finish. And I think that was good for them. Um, they do recognize the opponent. I think that was sort of drummed into everybody's head, you know, going into that weekend afterwards. You know, don't get too high on yourself because this is not a very good football team. Uh, but they did what they should have, they built some confidence. And I think just taking away some some small things from the game that obviously the competition is going to step up in a huge way this week and, and going forward the rest of the schedule. But just some small things. I mean, tackling was better. You know, is tackling Charleston Southern the same as tackling Jerry Judy? Or No, it's not. Not even close. But even just in the fundamental things, you can look at it, and South Carolina did a better job. They were positioned better. They, they took advantage of turnover opportunities. Didn't take care of the ball as well on offense. Only two times they didn't score a field goal or a touchdown was was a fumble and an interception. Um, but I think what we saw from Helensky was positive and the run game and all those different things. So there were some things to take away on a smaller level that, you know, it would be hard to project towards Bama or anybody else, but things that they had to get back on track on, and I feel like they did. And it was kind of a departure because we've seen – I went back and looked at all the – really easy games, either the FCS opponents or the low-level FBS opponents that Carolina's played this decade. And this is only the second time they've beaten an opponent by 50 points. And I think this part of the storyline has probably been beaten into the ground, but I just feel like it it bears repeating. I don't think any of the three of us think that what Carolina did against Charleston Southern foretells Carolina necessarily going out and upsetting Alabama on Saturday. Not to say that it can't happen, but it's not happening because of what Carolina did to Charleston Southern. But it's just so good to see a team go out there and take care of business after such an emotional letdown, after pretty much everybody in the city of Columbia sold on this team, sold on their coach. I think it would have been really easy for a team to come out and, and have a lackluster performance from the start. Um, but as you mentioned, only two possessions did they not score. It was the interception, which uh, y'all talked about a little bit, and we can talk about a little bit more when we talk about what to expect from Helensky on Saturday. And then the first turnover, I actually don't know if, I don't remember if y'all got a chance to talk about this, uh, Nick Muse fumbling. It was really funny because he caught the ball, and the guy was sitting next to us like, oh, cool, is that Nick Muse? And then two seconds later, the ball's on the ground. He goes, oh, is that Nick Muse? And it was one of those. It's like, oh, man, welcome to college football. But I had a couple other catches, I think sort of redeemed himself. Almost had a great touchdown there at the end. That I think that was the one that ended up being scored by Kevin Harris from the fullback position, if I remember correctly. Uh, but Wes, other big picture takeaways. Is there anything, or, or I guess what should we take away big picture from this game on Saturday? Yeah, I just think execution. You know, some of the stuff we saw offensively, um, would have been impressive just against air, you know. I mean, you you have large windows to throw. You, you know, really not a lot of pressure on the quarterback as far as a pass rush goes. Um, you know, uh, you're getting the ball back quickly because the defense is just shutting them down. So you got many, many opportunities on offense. And, you know, if, if you throw an incomplete pass, then, hey, you can hand the ball off and get an eight-yard chunk play pretty much at will. Um, you know, 
otherwise you're getting 40-yard jump plays in the running game. So, you know, there, there wasn't a whole lot of pressure on South Carolina from that standpoint. But I, I think just the poise of Ryan Holinsky, no sign of nerves whatsoever. And, you know, you can say, oh, it's Charleston Southern. But how many true freshman quarterbacks in their first um, game out there have some hiccups just uh, you know the logistic part of things getting your team into the offense consistently not having um, false starts not having procedural issues and um, then just going out it's one thing for guys to be open it's another to hit you know hit them and, and hit them in stride and and hit them where they you know they can sort of continue uh, you know their movements forward and you know swing passes were were good the uh, you know his slants were were delivered on time so even the underneath stuff you're saying okay this is an accurate football so I, I thought those are all things that can carry over sure the the windows are going to get tighter um, you know I, I thought that Charleston Southern they're, they're playing a lot of quarters you know a lot of cover three where you know both those defenses you're dropping back into zones and you're allowing underneath stuff and uh, you know Helensky sort of took what was there but but he he did it that's what you're supposed to do against those defenses. So, you know, we'll, we'll get a little bit more into how that will be different against Alabama moving forward. But I, I think as far as just doing what you were supposed to do um, is what I took away. And I also – I think Charleston Southern was the most overmatched team that we've seen South Carolina play from just top like to bottom. Like maybe ever. Yeah, like the, the – Seriously, know, that, the, is a, that is a horrendous team. They're bad by F, by FCS standards. If, if there were open guys, they you know, they struggled to hit them um, – you know, God, man, the, the first, I think it was the first snap. Javon Kinlaw just drove the opposing guard. Just, de- I mean, th- there was no, there was no even slowing him up. Like, he at will just drove him five yards into the backfield, into the quarterback, and sort of, I thought, just sort of set the tone. Like, dude, you're not, you, you know, you're not stopping me while I'm in this game. And, you know, the defense, the first team defense, I should say, they had the one long run where I think a couple of guys got out of their gap. Um, a very questionable P.I. call. That was I thought. a terrible call. Uh, yeah, not a good call. That That's a fourth and long there that just gets given to them. Other than those two plays, first-team defense gave up almost literally nothing. So, it, you know, again, opponent, opponent notwithstanding, you did what you were supposed to do. Yeah, I was going to say, South Carolina took – 69 offensive snaps in the game only had seven third downs so i mean they're four for seven on third down two for two on fourth down so that shows you they're moving the ball a lot and then on third and fourth down when they did get into those opportunities they they converted pretty well which you should and not all of them were some of them were shorter you know we saw a fourth and one kevin harris took the fullback dive and was able to get plenty but um they had some third downs that were you know third and six or so and they were able to convert them which you know, those things are positive. There weren't any issues that you should not have against that team, and I'll agree with you, Pearson. I mean, that, that Charleston Southern team, I mean, nothing against them. Uh, they've got a lot of disadvantages right now, just NCAA sanctions, all those different types of things, but um, it, it was the most overmatched team I've seen um, since I've been covering the Gamecocks for 10 years, and um, one of the most overmatched I've seen just in general. Uh, when you're talking about FCS versus FBS, they just – there wasn't a lot they could do. Their coach pointed that out afterwards. You know, he said they gave South Carolina a lot. They did. They made a lot of mistakes, but South Carolina certainly took advantage of their opportunities, and that's what you wanted to see there. So as we move sort of into the Alabama 
talk, but without quite getting there. Obviously, there were a lot of positives to take away. And again, the consensus is Carolina did exactly what they were supposed to. You can't criticize Ryan Helensky for not beating man coverage with his throws because Charleston Southern didn't play any man coverage. You know, it's one of those things you can only play against what you were what you're put up against. Um, but what were things that that you saw on Saturday that maybe you thought, okay, well, that doesn't necessarily look different than it did against North Carolina and gives me cause for concern going forward? You know, I, I don't know if there was anything that fits that description just because everything went so well for South Carolina. Um, again, a lot of it because the opponent does. It is the running is or you know is the offensive line magically fixed because they made those changes? Well, no. Are they vastly improved? We don't know yet. You know, I I do think there were some signs Probably that not. that Donnell Stanley moving back to center was a good move. Yeah. But um, you know, Jordan Rhodes, Javon Gwynn, they're they're gonna have some growing pains. Yeah. During the year, you know, the, that, that's the just gonna is, happen. At both of those guard positions, like those were, I mean, tightly contested position battle or at least you know right guard was tightly contested center was tightly contested left guard was stanley but if you if we told you at the beginning of the season stanley was going to be starting at center then it was going to be a battle you know a, a pretty even battle for that left guard position so i don't know if it's that jordan rhodes and and javon Gwynn are that much better than eric douglas and hank manos were you know on those two like interior line spots but i think there is something to be said for continuity um and, mm. and how much it helps to have a freshman quarterback we talked about this a little bit last week having a veteran 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 center to you know, make some of those pre-snap calls and to sort of be able to settle down the offense. I, I think that would be the one thing that you would say, even if it's not that much better on paper. Like the continuity could be better. Yeah. So, but not to, to try to answer the question. I I don't know if there's an area that I there there were no areas of concern that you could say you specifically saw in against Charleston Southern just because Charleston Southern didn't have the athletic ability to make you pay for anything. Um, you know, and, and I made the point. I I don't know what we were going to learn from this game going in for for one sort of side of the spectrum. I don't know what all we learn this, you know, if, if South Carolina gets dominated up front by Alabama, then, okay, get in line. You, you know, you're just the latest in a long line of right. teams that have gotten beat up front by Alabama. So, um, you know, they recruit better than anybody out there, at least on paper. And so, so you're going to face guys that are bigger, stronger, more athletic than you. So, you know, I, I think this season, and I'm I'm getting probably ahead, but this season is going to be defined by the Missouris, the Kentuckys, the Tennessees, the Floridas, those type games. As far as the swing games for South Carolina moving forward, but um, but yeah, we'll we'll see. Obviously, as far as the matchup, as we start getting into Alabama, um, there are lots of concerns. Wes is exactly right. I mean, nailed it. It's I don't think you need to get too. It's good to take away positives from Charleston Southern. You don't need to get too high about that game Mm -hmm. you know you get too low if South Carolina goes out there and gets beaten up by Alabama that's what they do to a lot of teams that's that's what they do to very 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 good football teams you know that's the type of thing that they do that's what they are and so if South Carolina was sitting here 2-0 and and had whipped North Carolina same deal I mean it's still an extremely difficult matchup you're talking about one of the top you know Really, the top three. There's three teams you could say they are at the top of college football. Alabama's one of them. South Carolina has to play each of those teams this year, so it's a huge challenge. And you know, when you look at Alabama's offensive line, has not been as strong just based on eye tests this year. You know, they they still <laughs> dominated their first two games, but um, 
they just have a lot of different weapons around them that I think they can they can hide that just a little bit. Uh, but their defensive line can be salty, and South Carolina can't make it a one-dimensional game because uh, they have some guys that can really rush the passer, that can really affect the line of scrimmage. And so, yeah, when you when you watch the game on Saturday, South Carolina's offensive line will not be dominant like they were on Saturday. Let's just go ahead and you know get that out there. Alabama's going to make Carolina a lot will of not plays. rush for more than 400 yards. For those of you that were wondering, I'm, I'm thinking Alabama. not. No, there will not be a 13-yard per carry average <laughs> in this game. Isn't that what it ended up being? I think it was 13.2. Because it was, it was, what, 470 yards on 38 carries? Something like that. So it was wh- absurd. Whatever that math is. But So there wasn't anything that you saw on Saturday that said that doesn't necessarily look fixed or better than against North Carolina that gives you concern for going forward? Was there anything that was f- better? No, no, no. Was there anything that stood out as not particularly better? I think when you just, when you just watch – and you consider level of competition and you just sort of look at positioning of players and things like that, I, I think there's still concern about open field tackling. And again, that would be the case. If South Carolina had beaten North Carolina by 30 points and looked dominant on defense, there would still be things where you go, Jerry Judy's going to make you look silly. Mm-hmm. Jalen Walter, it does not matter who you're playing against. Th- those guys are going to make you look silly sometimes. Tua, he can make plays. Um, defensively, they've got a lot of talent on that side of the football Special teams, they got a lot of dudes. Their returners are really good. So, yeah, I think it's still, and Muschamp addressed this during his press conference on Tuesday, they still are concerned about some young players bringing their feet, wrapping up, tackling. Um, I think we saw some things in coverage still every now and then to where you, you might let a guy behind you on a deep ball or you might lose the edge here and there. I think positioning-wise, they were better against Charleston Southern. Now, there was some reasons for that, but you can get out of position against anybody. You know, if you're not playing it right. So I think they did a better job um, just being in position and tackling when they should have and leveraging the ball. But it's, you know, people are going to make those things look worse when you face elite offensive teams. And that's what Alabama is. I'm glad you mentioned the open field tackling. I I, I didn't have any expectation that y'all were going to have any like big picture negative takeaways, but I'm glad you mentioned that because I had three queued up so I could. If y'all didn't have any, I was going to give one to each of you, including myself, and open field tackling was one of them. Uh, when we get into buy or sell in just a couple minutes, one of the things that I wanted to do for buy or sell, but y'all wanted me to keep it positive, so we're not going to do it, uh, would be buying or selling three or more 50-plus yard touchdowns for Alabama because I think I think Alabama's receivers are going to make Carolina's defensive backs look bad, and not just because they're beating him deep. I, I think the open field tackling is still a problem. It's easy to not really notice it against – Charleston Southern, but we saw you know several times like the, the big run. I think it wasn't as much missed tackles as guys just not necessarily being on the right assignment, at least from what I could tell. But uh, you know Jamie Robinson still you know struggled. It seemed kind of like he was lunging at defenders at times rather than you know actually wrapping up and getting downhill. I think from the safety position, like R.J. Roderick's still a hard hitter, but uh, you know if you just hit you know Waddle hard, he's going to stay on his feet and he's going to keep running. Same with Ruggs, same with Judy, same with basically everybody on the team. Same with Tua. Um, it's going to give Carolina some problems. They're going to miss some tackles. It's going to bother fans, and Alabama's going to score some long touchdowns because Carolina's defensive backs are, are, are missing uh, missing tackles. That's going to happen. So that's something that I don't think necessarily was overly fixed. It was just – I mean, Charleston Southern couldn't even get the ball out on the perimeter. They had guys that were open sometimes. The Israel Mukwamu's touchdown, we talked about this just before we started recording. He, you know, he was beat on that route. He was beat on the sideline. If that's a well-thrown pass – that interception you mean. What did I say? His touchdown. <laughs> yeah. Freudian slip because he was beat for, you know, it would have been a touchdown if that were Sam Howell at quarterback or, or Tua instead of, uh, I don't even know the Charleston. I don't, I don't remember which one because they played three quarterbacks. I don't remember which they one did. was yeah. in at that point. 
Um, <clears throat> but that would have been a touchdown. He was beat down the sideline. Fortunately, it was a horrendously underthrown ball. He was able to come away with an interception and red zone stop for Carolina. But those things are just going to be – those things are going to be picked to death um, against Alabama. The other thing, we y'all mentioned it a little bit in the postgame, and we talked about it and just saying, Helensky looked great except for the interception. The one thing that gives me concern there, and look, he's a freshman. He's going to make lots of mistakes, and that's fine. And just because he makes mistakes against Alabama in the second game of his career doesn't mean that he's not going to be a good quarterback. But the interception was basically the only play where Charleston Southern got any pressure on him. Yeah, And he had a pocket to step up into. He didn't do that. And then he sailed the pass. It looked like there were two crossing routes. It was Joyner underneath and somebody else on top. And he sailed both of them. That would be the concern because Alabama's going to bring pressure. They're going to get pressure with four, too. So you're not going to have the luxury of like, you know, oh, well, they're bringing everybody, so there's going to be someone open down the field. It's like, no, 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 they're, they're still probably going to get pressure. So that would be one thing that's uh, sort of cause for concern. And then I guess the last thing is part of Carolina's game plan was always going to be a little bit vanilla because you don't want to show too much. But as much as Brian McClendon has seemed to, especially in these first two games, favor really, you know, short passes, swing routes and slants, things like three yards of the line of scrimmage and sort of relying on yards after the catch – you're not going to get a lot of those against Alabama. I hope that that he shows a different game plan early against Alabama because if Carolina tries to beat Bama horizontally, I think it's going to be a disaster. Yeah, I mean, to, you got you got to consider who you're playing, and you got a game plan to try to accentuate what you do best, um, try to eliminate what they do best. And so, one of the things is they're going to try to pressure the quarterback, and they're going to try to cause confusion. So. How do you, how do you plan against those things? I mean, you, you don't want to play into the defense's hands, but it would be silly to go out there and say, "We're going to just completely, we're, we're going to dump our entire playbook for this week of install. We're, we're going to run all these crazy concepts." You, you, to some degree, you can't do that. Now, do you have some plays in your pocket that you that you think may work that you pick out? Sure. Or do you show them some things like Carolina ran two reverses in that game, which? Absolutely, I expect to be paying off. You know, maybe some fake sure. reverses or some double right. reverses against Alabama. You put some stuff on tape for right. sure, mm-hmm. um, but to some degree, I mean, Helensky can handle the playbook, but but you're not going to give him everything that you give a senior. I mean, let's be honest. Now that may work to your advantage. Some of the best offensive football teams, when you look around the landscape of college football, they're fairly simple, you know, and it's just. It's just going out and, and delivering the football, not turning it over, running it effectively, and letting your guys go make plays. And so that's something the Muschamps talked about a lot. We got to get Brian Edwards the ball. We got to get Shy Smith the ball. And so, in order to have success, I think they're going to have to make sure they do that. Now, how do you do that? Sometimes you're going to have to get Shy Smith. You're going to have to throw him a bubble and hope he gets seven yards and makes a but guy he's miss. He's not going to against Alabama is the problem. Not well, as, not still, consistently. You still have to show that, but they're not going to miss tackles. They close in space faster than sure. North Carolina and Charleston Southern. I just they do. I, I I am optimistic, and I'm not saying that because Carolina did that against Charleston Southern that they're going to lose or that they're going to do that against Alabama. But that's two straight games. They even showed it against North Carolina. They didn't. I know Will Muschamp said they called 17 shots on the field. The point is they didn't take them. There weren't a lot of intermediate routes. Pretty much all their passing game was was RPO with one guy running a slant, one guy running a bubble. They're going to need to be more diverse than that. They have to. They're going to have to hit. And, and Muschamp hit on that. You know, at his press conference on Tuesday, said there are going to be some 50-50 balls in this game. Now, by that, you know, I think he was referring also to we're going to have to make some guys miss in space, whether it's a running back taking a little swing pass to the flat make a guy miss, gain five yards, or turn it into something else, making a guy miss on a bubble, or 
we're going to have to take some shots downfield, I think is what he's saying. And Brian Edwards is going to have to come down with the ball because that's how you beat these guys. I mean, that's that's how you beat any of these games. There's going to be a few plays, and, and same with South Carolina defensively. There's going to be a few shots that Alabama takes. There's going to be some opportunities for one-on-one tackles. Who makes those plays in those almost four, five, six, seven plays? Yeah, I mean, I, I think if there's one guy on that sideline that can make people miss for South Carolina against anybody, it may be Shy. Shy, yeah. You know, and I, I think, you know, are, are the odds with you against Alabama's defense? Probably not, but you – I mean, you, you have to do something. Like, you have to call some plays. You have to try to find something you think works. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think, um, you know, I don't know if you have it right in front of you, Chris, but Will Helms had a great stat about um, forced missed tackles, um, you know, making guys miss. Yeah, I know it. What is it? Uh, by the running backs? Yes. Yeah, so last year, it. 53 all year and 22 through two games this year. In the past, when we've talked about South Carolina's running backs – the big issue there has been not able to sort of make that one guy miss and make something happen. And if you looked when South Carolina played great defenses, um, you know, the, the spread offense and the in, underneath stuff, for it to work, you, you have to make people miss. And against great defenses, it didn't happen. So we're going to find out, can Tavian Feaster, can a new and improved Rico Daddle, um, you know, if Kevin Harris gets in there, can they grind out yarders? Can they make people miss against this group? Because – um, you know, part of the reason you don't see as many deep shots against Charleston Southern is because they're just dropping back and saying, you know, throw it underneath. We don't care. We know we're not winning this game anyway, um, and we're not going to let you just beat us deep every time. Nick Saban is not going to sit back and let Ryan Holinsky dink and dunk him to death. You know, they're going to come up. They're going to press. They're going to play their matchup zone. They're going to play man coverage too. They're going to get up and say you're gonna have your receiver is gonna have to get open against our DBs and then Helensky's gonna have to put the ball where only they can catch it and you're gonna have to do it with a guy on your face so it, you know it's gonna be completely different from that standpoint um you know if, if they're gonna take shots down the field frankly the offensive line is gonna have to give them time to actually get it there I think that was part of the problem some of those shots that were called against North Carolina um either a there's pressure in Bentley's face or b um the ball doesn't get out or he's he's seeing pressure when it's not there because he's been under pressure for so long I mean they called a shot right after the turnover when they're up 20 to 9 called a you know a Spurrier-esque shot down the middle of the field and uh, it's missed I think on that particular situation because Bentley is feeling pressure from uh, the opponent uh the the other stat I think so Wilhelms had the exact one he came on my uh, Get Cocky podcast on Mondays, which is also part of the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. And if you're not listening to that, you should definitely check it out. So I don't remember the exact uh, the exact number, but basically Rico Dowdle led the team with 19 forced missed tackles last season. And Kevin Harris had six on six carries on Saturday, which, again, like level of opponent, but also, I mean, running backs, like you can tell a good running back when he runs the football, and Kevin Harris seems like he's, uh, he's that. But uh, for Carolina's receivers, they're going to have to – they're going to have to get some yards after the catch. It's obviously not going to be like it was against Charleston Southern. But for Brian Edwards and for Shai Smith that have those sort of, I mean, that have pro aspirations. That's Brian Edwards' entire career ever since his freshman year. It's like, wow, this guy is an NFL caliber receiver. He's got the body, all this stuff. This is the game where he actually needs to show up. He needs to win some of those 50-50 balls like Alshon did in the Alabama game in 2010. I, I know it's, you know, I mean, they're completely different games. It probably doesn't make much sense to talk about them in, you know, conjunction with one another. But Alshon going up and making that, it was the one hand cut. Was it Drake Kirkpatrick or somebody draped all over him? It was. And he comes down with you know with one hand. It's like, oh, this guy's for real. He's doing it against the best team on the highest level in a crucial moment. Those are the types of things that you have to do to to win a game like that. And 
But we can compare, you know, how, how much better is a 2010 team than, you know, I don't think it was the best team of the Spurrier era. I think 2012 was, but it's the only team that made it to Atlanta in, in that in that era, and it was a good team. I mean, they had a lot of good football players on that team. Mostly Steven Garcia. Um, <laughs> Steven Garcia played a great game. Those are the types of things you have to weird up the game a little bit yeah. um, in order to pull off an upset, and that's, I mean, that's what Carolina did in 2010. They're completely different games. But you can you can go back and look at, okay, what happened, and you can say some similar type things have to happen. So is this a good time to break out that stat that I teased before we came on the show? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. All right. So I was going to talk about how weird that game was and then give a pretty cool stat, I thought. I was looking over the box score of the 2010 game yesterday, and really it was pretty evenly matched. I mean, South Carolina won by two touchdowns, but – that was a close game. I mean, Bama closed the gap right before the half. They scored a touchdown. Then right at the beginning of the second half, Garcia chucks the ball in the back of the end zone for the safety. Alabama, you know, keeps making a push, and then South Carolina is able to, after they pulled it within one touchdown again, they went and had a long drive. Two, two man-sized drives on offense helped Carolina win that game and finish it. But other than that, it was pretty close. I mean, Alabama had more total yards. The turnovers were even. At one, Alabama had one more first down, and they possessed the ball longer. But the difference was what South Carolina made some bigger plays offensively, and and that ended up being the difference. Another huge difference with those two running backs that Alabama had then, and it was Richardson and Ingram at that point, right? You guys remember how many rushing yards they had? Combined? Team rushing yards. Team rushing Team yards, yards for Alabama. Alabama. I'm going to go 115. Okay, Pearson says 115. What you got? Westy. 90. 36 was the number. Wow. 36 rushing yards. That was actually pointed out to uh, yesterday by someone who used to be on the support staff, South Carolina's program. We were texting about that game yesterday, and he reminded me that they gave up 36 rushing yards. That's it. And his comment was, that's never going to happen again. And I was like, probably not. Yeah. So I went back and looked at all the rushing totals that year and up until now, present time for Alabama. Take a, care to take a stab at the next lowest rushing total they've ever turned in. Ninety yards, hundred and fifteen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so in two thousand fourteen, for some reason, they rushed for just sixty six yards against Arkansas. Ah, oh, okay. Okay, but sorry, I didn't that, mean to. Didn't mean to ruin that. No, no, you're good. The only t- they've only gone under five. Only five times has Alabama as a program gone under 100 rushing yards this, since then. This decade? This decade. Holy stuff. Only five times, aside from that game. So they had a 69 rushing yards, 96, 66, 96, and 66 again. That's the only other times. Most of the times when you look, they've got some low hundreds games, but most of the time they're 200, they're 300 rushing yards. So, I mean, that's pretty 36 rushing yards. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah. All so, right. So that's uh, not a realistic uh, thing to expect. No, it's not. Nor do they even have didn't, to do that to pull a McElroy huge upset. Did McElroy take but. a ton of sacks in that game too? Like, wasn't he getting smashed the entire game? Well, let's try to look up. We the all know that, that was game. the uh, first game that he lost as a starter since middle school. <laughs> that's that is, is that up there with like the National Pancake Day stat? That, and, and the, the, and the, the Jake Dilley Dilley graduated Dilley high school early. And uh, David Green, David Pollock were good friends. You oh, remember yeah. that one? That God, that was maybe the worst one ever. Oh, man. I Did love you guys know? stats. That's great. Mike um, Patrick, man, he loved the Pancake Day. Yes. Pancake Day. That was great. his favorite. Um, 
All right, we're officially off track. Um, I think we're on track. Talking about Alabama. Okay, you're you're efforting the sack thing. We'll get back to that. Yes. Um, but to get back to, I guess, what we were talking about, and as we sort of transition into a little bit of buy or sell now, I, I, when I'm thinking about numbers and how this thing's going to play out, it's it's not going to be 36 rushing yards for Carolina. It's going to be, like you're saying, it's going to be big plays. It's going to be... Carolina has to be opportunistic when they get in the red zone, when they generate turnovers, they're going to need to score there. Um, and, and again, to be aggressive in those opportunities. I just, I made these numbers up off the top of my head. These don't have any, these don't have any like context or anything, but I feel like it would be better for Carolina if Ryan Helensky throws for over 300 yards, but has three interceptions than if he throws for 150 yards, but has zero interceptions. Well, how, many touchdowns, how many touchdowns is he throwing? Two, two touchdowns either way. You're saying that because that means the ball is getting out, the ball is being, uh, yeah, you know, he's taking chances, taking shots, right. and not just going underneath and sort of taking what's there and then punting the football after. Is that five the right way to drives. think about it, or am I am I over or am I overestimating the value of getting the ball down the field and taking some chances? No, I mean, it, in, the thing is, in either one of those scenarios, I don't think Carolina's celebrating in five. But points okay, that but night. If, but if Carolina, if he's at like. 250 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions, that's probably better than 150 yards, one touchdown, and no interceptions, right? This week, prob- you know, yeah. probably so. Um, yeah, I mean, I- I'll buy that. But I, I think um, – and we'll, I don't know. We'll, we'll get into it at probably at the end. But my, my question, sort of to go along with what you're saying, and we can think about it now and hit it later, what, do- what does have to happen for South Carolina to be celebrating – and five points after this game. You know, like, what? how many different what-ifs have to play out? Like, um, roughly 11 significant injuries for Alabama. That's sort of what I'm thinking. South Carolina had <laughs> seven sacks in yeah. that game. Wow. And gave up just one. And Alabama was five of 13 on third down, which is, that's not that's not a bad number per se. Two of three on fourth down. So that's that's one. I mean, you're going to have to affect two. Uh, mm-hmm. That's very it, difficult to do. The most important player in the entire of all 44 guys plus specialists that are going to be playing, that are going to be starting, whatever, the most important guy on the field Saturday is going to be Javon Kinlaw. I thought you were going to say Tua Tagovailoa. No. It's going to be Kinlaw because Kinlaw is going to be responsible. He's he's the point of attack for slowing down Alabama's rushing attack. He's going to be the guy that's going to have to push the pocket to make sure that Tua doesn't have a pocket to step up into. Because Tua, I mean, Tua is very dangerous for a lot of reasons. He's very accurate with the football. Carolina's secondary is going to have to deal with that. I mean, there's no real way to stop that. When he gets outside of the pocket, that's bad. But the worst, the most dangerous Tua is, is when he can step up into the pocket to either deliver a pass or take off. Kinlaw has to make sure that there is not a pocket there for him. And as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, there are some question marks from Alabama fans, from people around the country, about Alabama's offensive line that's dealing with a couple injuries right now, a couple of young guys in that unit. Um, so that's going to be the the I guess the, like the biggest key that I'm looking for. But I just threw that out there for no real reason. That doesn't have anything to do with what we're talking about because I was trying to get us into into buy or sell. But well, I guess I guess we can we can you want to make that a buy or sell? We, I'll, I'll sell that. We well, can do that. Well, tell us about the Bishop well, first. Team, we need we'll to we need it. to introduce the buy yeah. or sell. So yeah, uh, buy or sell is a segment we do every time we do another Carolina podcast, and it is sponsored by Terry Bishop of Bishop Real Estate Group. Terry's a former Gamecock quarterback and a huge supporter of the program still. Um, he and his wife, Becky, have a lot of awesome real estate opportunities if you're buying or selling, investing. Um, they got a cockaboose right now for sale. It's pretty sweet, and it's for a good deal. 
So you should definitely give him a call. 803-665-1442 or facebook.com slash the Terry Bishop team. You can check out their listings and a bunch of cool stuff on there. So we appreciate him supporting Buy or Sell. All right, so I'm the host, and I'm calling an audible, and that's the first buy or sell. Buy or sell, Javon Kinlaw is the most important player in the game on Saturday. Wes already said he's selling. Give me your reason, and then if you're going to sell, you have to tell me who the most important player is. Okay, yeah, I'm selling. Um, reason being, Javon Kinlaw could could just destroy Alabama's first drive of the game. And Alabama would look up and say, dang, this Javon Kinlaw dude is destroying us. We're going to double him and make him not be the guy to destroy us. And then DJ Wanham becomes the most important guy in the game. Or somebody no, because else Kinlaw's the still the most important guy because he's drawing the double team that's getting one-on-one coverage or one-on-one blocking for everyone else on that defensive line. But then they have to take advantage of it. That's like saying just because Clowney didn't have the most sacks as junior, he wasn't the most important player on that line. But, I mean, he was getting double and triple teams, which opened things up for everybody else. Yeah, but then they you have to have the guys there that against Alabama's offensive line can then actually make that matter. Right. But they don't so, even have that opportunity without Javon. All right, so so give me give me your guy. Ryan Holinsky. Really? Period. I, I think uh, freshman quarterback, they're going to do everything they can to try to rattle him. Um, the throwing windows will be smaller. You know, The separation between receivers and DBs will be small. Um, there's going to be balls that have to be delivered even when South Carolina's guys are covered. And uh, they're going to have to be put in spots where only they can catch it. And then, you know, the receiver's going to have to take advantage of that and, and go make plays for him. But I, I say 100%, if Ryan Helensky, if Ryan Helensky doesn't play well, South Carolina has no chance of winning. South Carolina could still win the game if Javon Kinlaw made a relatively small impact. Ryan Helensky has to play well for South Carolina to have any chance of winning. That's why I go Ryan Helensky. Yeah, I sell too. Um, I think Kinlaw could do a really good job against the run. He, I think he could affect two at times. But, you know, you go back and look at what Alabama's doing offensively, and it's it's smart, right? I mean, the way that they've – you know, I watched the New Mexico State game in particular. Can you take away a ton from that? No, New Mexico State's not very good. But they open up the game, and a lot of their drives – I mean, they scored on the first play of the game. You know, you swing the ball out to Jerry Judy or one of the receivers, and you let them go. You know, and then obviously they have the capability to hit the deep ball. I think they swung it out to Henry Ruggs on the first play of that game. And he looked like a freaking gazelle, man. He took like eight That's steps and was was 80 yards down the field. That's what they are. And so, for me, that's a way that even if Ken Law is having a huge impact, that's a way to neutralize it. And and then you go back to, you know, can South Carolina attack on the perimeter? I think, I think that's going to be – that, to me, is how Alabama attacks South Carolina. You have trouble in one-on-one situations with North Carolina. You had trouble tackling North Carolina in space. Coach IR, guys. And and I think that's how you attack it. So defensively, for me, I'd be more inclined to pick, you know, a J.C. Horn or, you know, a, one of the safeties or even like T.J. Brunson at Will Backer because he's going to be isolated in some of those situations. But I, I would have to agree with Wes and go with Helensky just because I feel like, you know, South Carolina is going to have to score points to win this game. I mean, they're going to have to. And – Helensky's the only guy who's going to be touching the ball every single time. Um, you know, th- will they do some things with Joyner? Probably. Will they need to run the ball effectively? Probably. But he's the key. Not to put too much on him, but just being realistic. He's going to ha- he's going to get into some situations because Nick Saban's going to make sure he gets in those situations where he's got to make a play. And so I think he's he's the most important guy. All right. 
I, uh, I, might, I might suck at this because for those of you that are keeping score at home, uh, Wes and Chris have now sold all four of my propositions. We'll see how the next two go. Um, I'm we obviously were, buying that because I've suggested it. But we were wrong. You know, I guess yeah. that's true. We, we were, were wrong. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. We compl- as bad, and we thought Charleston Southern was bad. Yeah. But as bad <laughs> as we thought they were, we didn't think they were bad enough for Carolina. I didn't have all the information yet. You remember I texted to amend my <laughs> – but it was already done at that point. Um, all right, okay. the next two, uh, since I mentioned people keeping score at home, uh, G. Pennington was interested in which, I guess, propositions we were buying and which we were selling. And he has, I think, two interesting ones here of, of three that he suggested. One has to do with South Carolina's rushing yards. And as we talk about Carolina scoring a lot of points, these next two are going to be about Carolina's offense. Are you buying or selling that Carolina will have at least 125 yards on the ground on Saturday? Not including sack yards. I buy. Okay, bye. Yep. Because Kevin Harris? Um, no, I just – well, okay. I mean, possibly. I just think by committee, over the course of the game, just call it a feeling I think they'll be able to get there. I don't think that they're going to look dominant in the run game um, or anything of that nature, but I think they'll spring a few runs here and there. I think they'll incorporate to carry on Joiner, and I think eventually they'll get there. I don't think it'll be a lot over that. Um, I think it's a, it, it might even be a little bit of a stretch for me to say that. So just sort of call it a feeling. No, no super duper analysis going along with it. You're just buying because you're tired of selling and being wrong. So that's that's fair. Well, I may, I may, I mean, I may very well be wrong about that one too. <laughs> but I think, uh, you know, I think when you combine, you know, uh, all all the different backs and, and Joiner maybe playing some quarterback and being able to do some things with his legs, um, I think they'll be able to get there not much over and i don't think they're gonna have a ton of offensive success in the game to and be not clear. 13 yards of carry maybe three or four yards of carry but right just getting one i think it's gonna take a while to get there so. wesley buying or selling oh man i'm selling good for you in character sold just because you think they're trash no i just, just kidding but, I mean, that, that's, a, that's always a tough team to run on. You don't think they'll get to 125? Do you think it's because lack of production or lack of dedication to the run or because they're going to be trailing the whole game? I think a little bit of all of the above and the fact that college football, you subtract sack yardage no, I said from... not including sack yardage. Oh, you said that? Yeah. Well, I'm still... I didn't that, that factored part. into mine. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll still sell. I mean, I, I think they'll rush for... If you just said 100, I'd have probably bought, but... Um, 125 against that defense is tough. And, you know, as much as we talk about they're going to have to run the football, they're, they're going to force Ryan Holinsky to try to beat them. I, I think Ryan Holinsky has to go beat them. And then, you know, I, I think it's more whenever you go into a game where you're thinking they have to run the football to set up the pass, generally the best approach is actually to show you can pass the football to set up the run. You know, I, I think we saw South Carolina try to do that against Georgia last year, and it sort of backfired on them. But, uh, still, the the idea, even if the execution was off, the idea in general of, you know, let's, let's loosen them up. You're not going to just line up and run the football against Alabama. So I think the approach is let Ryan Holinsky show, if you feel like he can do that, you know, in your film review and, you know, what you see in practice, if you feel like he can light them up, go all out, light them up, and then come back to the running game. Uh, random note, I don't think it's going to happen. You know, I think all of us in this room are – or on the same page of picking Alabama to win. I think that's the that's probably the <laughs> yeah. accurate pick. I don't know where the money Wait, line but, is, but take it. That said, 
this is just a random thing that popped in my head while y'all were talking, while Wes was talking. If Ryan Holinsky could lead out South Carolina to a huge upset, like how much is his sort of legend going to grow? Would it grow wow. instantly? I mean, it'll be I mean, cemented. Right it it would there. be insane. I mean, he would be all over, you know, Sports Center. I mean, the SEC Network. I mean, it'd be ridiculous, ridiculous. I, that was just a thought that popped in my head because that's what happened with Garcia. I mean, he had a great game. He wasn't a freshman at the time, but even more so. You know, I mean, we saw how Trevor Lawrence took the country by storm, you know, and he didn't even start this early. You know, he got some game action, and then he took over in, what, game four, game five. And then, obviously, leading your team to a national title tends to, <laughs> you know, tends to add to that But if you're a Carolina fan, the next best thing is just beating Alabama every, every like, once a decade. That's I mean, the, the hype level will be off the charts, and, and will have been deserved, yeah. you know, to some degree, if he could do that. It, it is, is there a matchup? that South Carolina can find that that goes their way? Is there something you can hang your hat on? There might be, but we should get to that after buy or sell. Yeah, I'm wrecking the rhythm uh, of buy or sell. It's all right. Sorry. Well, we're we're going we're gonna to store that one away, not even in the back of your brain, just like in the top, like sort of on the side, um, and get to it. Uh, I'm inclined. I, I'm glad you brought up the Georgia game because as I'm trying to decide whether or not I want to buy or sell this 125 rushing yards, I'm inclined to sell it because I think Carolina – will be trailing. I think they will have that aggressive game plan like we saw against Georgia last year, which means throwing the football a lot. Um, but the flip side of that is Rico Dowdle has been running really well this year. He's been running through contact. Um, he's done a good job of hitting the hole. Tavian Feaster has added that. I think Kevin Harris earned himself at least a couple of carries. I don't know if that means over Mondenson or you know with Mondenson, but I think he has shown an ability to run through tackles. And uh, Will Helms mentioned that both y'all have talked about this a lot and maybe even mentioned it on the podcast on Monday, that guys in practice, while you were fishing for comments about, you know, Ryan Holinsky and, and some other guys, you ended up hearing a lot about Kevin Harris and how much everyone hates trying to tackle that guy. And we saw why. He can squat 600 pounds. Nobody wants to tackle a lower body that looks like it belongs on a defensive lineman. So I, I think he may have earned himself some more carries. And if you So Carolina ran 64 offensive plays against North Carolina and 69 against Charleston Southern, which was nice. So if they're running like 66-ish plays a game and you say they're like 30 runs, 36 passes, which is basically what their distribution was for the Charleston Southern game, and they average about four yards a carry, which wouldn't be great. I guess it would be pretty good for Alabama, but wouldn't be great like big picture. That puts you like right around that 120. Did I do that math right? 30 times 4? Yeah. That's, that's 120. 120. Yeah. So that that's like really close to me. And I, I'm I'm going to buy it because we're taking out sack yardage. That's how I'm going with this. Uh, last one. Buy or sell Carolina scores at least 24 points on Saturday. I'll buy. There we go. First buy of the season. Yeah. Um, 20. I think they can score 27, 28 points. Um, 27, 28 legit points, or is that including like a garbage time touchdown to cover the spread? Who can say? I don't know. One, <laughs> I one can way, say. One way or the other, they get there. Chris, what you got, buddy? Sort of inclined to go under. So you're selling 24 points? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm going to sell. I think it'd be close. I think they can get to 20. Um, heck, I, you know. I I really don't need to put a disclaimer on all these that I could be wrong because I'll probably be wrong more than right, to be honest with you. But I, I would go under, you know, if I'm having to bet the farm on it or something of that nature. Um, 
you know, I think I think it's a little bit overblown. You know, everybody always asks Muschamp or Saban or both about, well, you guys worked with each other. You must know, you know, not really. I mean, he hasn't worked for the guy since 2005. So that they think alike in some regards, and so there's some familiarity. I say that to say that Dan Werner's on South Carolina staff. He's had some hands in obviously structuring how the Gamecocks offense is run, and he was at Ole Miss when they had a lot of success under Hugh Freeze against Alabama, and then Nick Saban turned around and hired Dan Werner as an analyst, and when asked why, he was like, well, you see what they've done to our defense the past couple of years, right? And so there is a little bit more of recent familiarity there and that Werner, you know, what he did for Saban was basically – you know, broke down game tape and things of that nature. So he has an idea of with their current personnel and this sort of modern time in football, how they operate the program now, you know, maybe what they're going to be thinking defensively and then how they're going to attack what they do offensively and then maybe some things that may give their defense trouble. He'll know how to do those things. So I think that, you know, that could help somewhat, but you still got to go out there. It's a player-driven game, and Alabama's got a lot of players. And so – um I just, I, I'm still selling though. Okay. I think, I think there's going to be South Carolina is going to make some mistakes um, because Alabama will force them into it. You know, even though I went by on the rushing yardage, I don't think they're going to have a ton of success running it. Um, I think it's just going to be a tough sledding for for a lot of the game. I think he just uh, made me feel even better about my prediction because I, of the Dan Warner thing. Yeah, the Dan Warner thing is an interesting aspect. It is. I'm going to buy it. I'm okay. going to buy it because I. I think Carolina will score 20. I, I feel good about Carolina's ability to score a touchdown early. You know, they got some momentum. Maybe maybe even the first drive because it's like you script that thing out. Everything goes according to plan. The crowd's on your side. Everyone's feeling good. And then Alabama gets up by four touchdowns. And then they score maybe, you know, early in the third quarter. And it's like, oh, getting back in it. And then it's like, no. And in the meantime, they get a couple field goals. They get it to 20. And then late in the game, it's like 49 to 20. Alabama's got some of their second string guys in. And then Carolina puts together a nice long drive to – Make it 27. So and Saban I'm, blows a gasket yeah, because of because, said drive. Because of said drive. Because <laughs> Carolina scores, they, you know, make my buy prediction correct, and they would cover the spread, which is right now at 26. That would get it to 22. Um, Saban would be, would be mad about Yeah, you. he'd be so pissed because he's <laughs> betting the buy. farm on, on Alabama. Sure, he'll mention that at his right press now. conference so I'm buying week. all three. What were, you were, you're buying one, selling two, and you're buying one selling two. That's it. All right. Thanks to uh, G. Pennington for listening and for giving us a couple of those uh, buy or sell. Wes, give us that matchup question again, and then give us yours, because I think I, – I don't want to speak for Chris, but i got to think about a specific matchup while you do that. Yeah, and I, I think my question was, what uh, where can South Carolina find an advantage? What what matchup – or is there one where they can say, this is something we can do to hurt Alabama? Um, and, and then maybe you try to – to do it until until they stop it if we're talking about offense or or an advantage they may have on defense that they can sort of play with. I actually think something I thought we would see more of, we've seen it some, we haven't seen a lot of it. Tavian Feaster in the passing game, trying to get him matched up with some of their linebackers, um, doing some different things with him, um, motioned out of the backfield. We For the first time, we saw him and Daddle on the field at the same time with uh, Dakarion Joyner. You know, I think there's some different things you can do. If you just have one running back on the field and you motion them out, then all of a sudden you're empty, so you're showing your cards basically. But if you have split backs and, you know, you can leave Daddle in the backfield, you can motion Tavian Feaster out, there's some things you could possibly do to take advantage of what I believe are Tavian Feaster's best assets, which is 
not just his top end speed, but his his hands. And South Carolina hasn't necessarily had a guy that they could do that with. I think that's that's a part of what Dan Warner has done in the past. That's a part of this scheme that is only there if you have a guy who consistently catches it. Um, throw that in probably because that Georgia game was was fresh on my mind, and that South Carolina tried to spread the ball out. The ball goes off Rico Daddle's hands. Pick six, opening drive against Georgia. Um, so there may be some you know memory bias there for me on this, but I. I just wonder if that's not something South Carolina can can kind of try and take advantage of if you can get him matched up with some some linebackers because it's something we haven't really seen so far through the first two games. That's a really good one. Chris, you got one? The, man, this game would be – I was thinking about this for the North Carolina game and just for a lot of games in the past. They're missing Keel Pollard, you know. I mean, I think this is a game where he could have some success, especially when, you know, he can – he could do so many things for them in the passing game. But, you know, Nick Muse maybe will come along. Kyle Markway's done a nice job. I think you to have success in this game, you're going to have to win some one-on-one matchups in the air. There's going to be some 50-50 balls. So, um, look, Alabama's got some really talented defensive backs too. I mean, when you're talking about Patrick Sertain and Xavier McKinney at safety and those guys. But I do think there's some opportunities for Shai Smith, for Brian Edwards, to get some one-on-one matchups. I mean, Shai Smith's got a lot of speed. I know Alabama does, too. This is a guy who can run with anybody. Shai Smith can. And so, I don't I don't think it's a matchup you feel wonderful about and say they, they are absolutely going to take advantage of this. But with Brian Edwards' size, his ball skills, and with Shai Smith, I think the wide receivers versus Alabama's defensive backs, whether it's through scheme or their own skill, that's an area where I've, I'll say they need to take advantage of that. And um, I think Dan Werner will have some ideas. Brian McClendon is obviously calling the offense, but just collaboratively as a staff, um, I think they'll be able to maybe identify some of those areas they can take advantage. And that's that's the one that they're going to have to have success in to be able to, to win. You almost stole mine. Brian okay. Edwards and Shai Smith, but in special teams. Nick Saban was very okay. complimentary about Carolina's special teams and – not only are they going to have to be aggressive on offense, not only are they going to have to be, um, they're going to have to take advantage of any opportunities, any turnovers that Alabama gives them, they're going to have to take advantage of good field position. Brian Edwards has shown time and again that he is a deceptively good punt returner. He never looks that fast, but he's just shifty enough. He can just turn his hips and his shoulders, get defenders off balance, and go right by him. And we saw Shy have a really nice return against North Carolina. Uh, Carol, I mean, Will Muschamp. That's as giddy as I've seen him when he was asked yesterday at his press conference about how much the special teams have improved in four years because he clearly takes a lot of pride in that, and you've seen that. So I'm going to go special teams as a whole. I think Edwards, as a punt returner, if he can break a big return, not even for a touchdown, but get Carolina a good field position. Same with Shy. Um, I think Joe Charlton, especially in the punting game. Carolina's going to punt a lot. I would like to see them, you know, take some more chances on fourth downs, but even still, they're going to punt. If he can continue to flip field position well for Carolina, that could be a huge X factor in this game. And I'm, gra- I'm glad you brought that up because I think through two games, the special teams have been the most consistent performer for South Carolina. Take and, a weird miss extra point. but Yeah, and, and it's it's about time I think we all admitted that Brian Edwards is a good punt returner because mm-hmm. I, I think yeah. every everybody groaned. Yeah. Uh, let's be honest. Everybody was like, well, you know, why can't Jemias Williams get back there, which I think for him, from what I've heard, it's you have to consistently catch the ball better. You know, but why can't you put Shy Smith back there and – Brian Evers actually had some really nice returns last year, some of them that got um, either by his own doing with a fumble at the end against Texas A&M or, um, you know, a block in the back, I think, against Kentucky or a hold, uh, you know, that were negated. But 
the, the guys make something happen there. And which sort of, I, I think, if, if South Carolina is going to win this game, they probably have to have a big advantage there. You know, I, I think you're going to need like one, maybe two just sort of game-changing plays from your special teams, throw in a game-changing play for your defense. Like everything, these sort of swing-type plays, everything has to go South Carolina's way because then all of a sudden, then I think that just puts them to where it's close. Yeah, I think maybe a good way to think about it, Carolina's got to be plus one in every phase of the game. Not not even necessarily like in turnover margin, which is I think what people think of when they hear right. plus one. But they need to be they need to make one more big special teams play than Alabama, one more defensive play, and one more offensive play for for this to be right in the game. Yeah, and I, I think when I think every game you sort of have you sort of have a play that you maybe you feel good about, or maybe that you've sort of um, set up. Even you know you were talking about the reverse, you know. If if you've set that up and you have a particular look you're looking for and you think you have a reverse pass or something, and then you see that look, you see the opportunity, and then you get the guy open, how how many times does then, you know, there's a bad throw or there's a drop pass? I think for South Carolina to win when they have those chances for those big plays, you know, cornerback cor- can't let the ball go through his hands if he has a chance at an interception. And obviously, you know, we're talking about that goes for any game, but the margin for error against this team is so thin that when you have those chances, you have to make a play. I I think to your point um, earlier, Kevin Harris getting him involved, even if it's for three plays on Saturday, but it happens to be on third or fourth and one, and he can be that guy that they haven't had in the past that can just ram forward basically and get your one yard. Or, you know, we've we've seen them in the I formation now. I think twice with Kevin Harris as the fullback. Mm-hmm. Fullback dive. Last year, yeah. yeah, now you have that in your opponent's head. You can fake that. And I, I love that little fake fullback dive, and then you flip the ball out like almost option. I hate um, that. To the running back, it wasn't a great play in NCAA football, but it's a great no, play. No, that that's exactly in, my experience in real life. Well, um, not against a fast team like Alabama. Maybe, against but if Charles, you get them sucked Kentucky. in, though, I mean, Ellis Johnson used to say, um, you know, fast guys going the wrong way. Um, you know, can get themselves in trouble. So I completely butchered what he used to say, but it was it was to that extent. You know, that, that was the concept. <laughs> but yeah, if you if you get those guys going the wrong direction, then um, you, I think you have to do a little bit of that. You have to go against your tendencies against a team like Alabama. All right, we've gone a little bit long here. Who won the Schlotzky's challenge slash challenges? Did you decide how to dole that up? By the way, yeah, nobody picked North Carolina to win. No, they, we, there were a couple. Oh, there were. Of North okay, Carolina picks. all right. So I didn't think there. were that there was at All right, first, so you got but, two winners to announce. Yeah, um, and I already posted them on the board. Um, okay, if perfect. you're listening, then uh, check your private messages. I I just need your mailing address so I can send you the little gift card that gets you your free $60. Uh, every week, as you said, we do a Slotsky's Deli tailgating trade giveaway, $60 uh, free. It's got uh, sandwiches, chips, um, chocolate chip cookies, I think, um, you know, everything you need for a tailgate. And uh, <laughs> Thigh Man won uh, week one. Hi, man. With, talking about fried chicken. Yeah, with a uh, a twenty four to twenty um, prediction for North Carolina to win the game. Wow! And uh, then at USC two won this past week. He predicted fifty six to ten. We actually had three predictions for fifty six to ten. Kicking chicken, um, Denidrum. I I don't know. That's just what I have jotted down here. I don't know what that screen name actually is, but. Um, all three said 56-10, but USC, two got the tiebreaker by predicting 556 total yards 
for South Carolina. And he that was only the, off by 219. Well, that, that was the <laughs> highest of, yeah. of the guys that had it tied. We had a 548 and a 521. So congrats to those two. Uh, hey, invite us to your free tailgate, man. We're uh, I'm always down for some Slotskis. A hundred percent. Yeah, although if you invite me to your tailgate, either make sure that um, you don't want any more of the cookies or they're already all gone because I will yes. eat the rest of them. By the way, real quick, it's 529 Bush River Road, Columbia, South Carolina, or 1305 Knox Abbott Drive, KC, South Carolina. Uh, the number for catering is 803-605-1686. Thanks so much to Slotskis for sponsoring that. And again, you can check that out. You don't have to be a subscriber. You can go to the Fighting Gamecock Forum to see that thread every week. But if you are a subscriber, uh, get it on the Insider Forum. And if you want to be a subscriber to Gamecock Central and you're not, you can use the exclusive podcast code GCPOD to get a month of subscriber access for one month for free. It's fantastic. It's very easy. So thanks so much to Slotskis. Uh, thanks so much to the Bishop team for sponsoring our Buy or Sell. And as we get out of here, I want to remind you guys to rate, review, subscribe, share this podcast with your friends. If you want us to keep doing it, that's the best way to support the podcast. Y'all enjoy the Alabama game. and We will be back either Sunday or Monday with an instant reaction podcast for the South Carolina Alabama game. Y'all enjoy Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.